to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer and continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So a little catch up uh, very quickly. I just got back from Denver, where I got to attend the uh, Shelton Brothers Importers, the festival. Um, They put together an impressive impeccable group of uh, brewers pouring some incredibly rare and incredibly fantastic beer. Uh, So I had a chance to go out there and do some interviews. So those will uh, be posted as they are ready. Uh, Background noise and (laughs) not needs to be edited out. Uh, But today I'm very, very excited. Um, We are doing a show with um, Union Craft Brewing out of Baltimore, Maryland. Now for any of you who are not familiar with Union Craft Brewing. Uh, It was founded in 2011, but opened its doors in 2012 in April. Um, They were founded by Kevin Blodger, um, Adam Benich, and John Zarevitz. Today, I am joined with Kevin Blodger, who is the founder and director of brewing operations, uh, and Lynn Pernobus, who is the operations manager and cask ninja. probably one of the greatest titles I've ever encountered. Thank you, too, for making the trip down to D.C. I appreciate it. Well, we're glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So uh, Union Beer has a really soft place in my heart because uh, you produce this really beautiful beer called Old Pro. Uh, it's a seasonal beer. Uh, and when I've ever been responsible for buying shift drinks uh, for a restaurant, as soon as uh, Old Pro is available, everyone rejoices because at the end of the night, it's what you want to drink. Uh, So for maybe listeners who aren't too familiar with uh, Union Craft Brewing, can you give a little blurb uh, to kind of familiarize uh, some listeners with what you all do and what you're all about? Yeah, so uh, kind of our philosophy for beer is um, we want to make drinkable approachable beers that if you're a sophisticated beer drinker or beer snob whatever you can appreciate what we do but if you're new to beer or you don't drink craft beer that often you can still appreciate and drink our beers um and then the other big focus for union is community we we love our city of baltimore um we want to make the city better we think the city makes us better um and so that's kind of been our mission is to make great beer and be and foster great community at the brewery and outside in the city and just like show the love that we have for Baltimore and the love we get back from the city uh, in our products and what we do. That's beautiful. And, you know, that was reflected in, so the first beer that you all produced was Duckpin, correct? Yes. So that comes, that name stems from a pretty uh, impressive uh, institution in Baltimore. Yeah, so so Duckpin Bowling has been around. Uh, a lot of people say that the uh, 
the owner of the Orioles invented it to keep the players busy during the off season. Uh, Babe Ruth, when he played for the Orioles, supposedly loved uh, duck pin bowling. So it's just small balls, smaller pins. Um, there's still some lanes in Baltimore where we can go do it uh, all the time. So yeah, we wanted to, and all the names of our beers, they all kind of reflect something from the city. So with duck pin, it's that. Uh, we had a Balt Alt beer, just, you know, kind of named after Baltimore. Um, Skipjack for Annapolis and the, and the boat culture we have in Maryland. And Blackwing for our, the Ravens and the Orioles. Um, so we just kind of try and show our love, like I said, our love for the city. And we want to get that love back, we hope. So something that you also have done that I really enjoy is you're doing a union collective, yeah. right? So this is a space um, that essentially you bought and realized that you had too much space uh, and reached out to local businesses, small businesses, and you know, kind of created this space where you're encouraging all these local small businesses. Yeah, so it's something that we wanted to stay in our neighborhood. We'd been looking at this building for a long time, but knew it was too big for just union. Um, and we looked at what our tap room had done for us and allowed people to come and meet us talk to us, get our philosophy, see what we were trying to represent in our beers and what we wanted our beers to be. Um, and then we said, why couldn't other manufacturers that want to stay in the city of Baltimore do the same thing? So have your, your manufacturing space in the back, but a retail space up front where you get to deliver your message and not have to worry about it going out to other stores or, you know, in case of Baltimore Spirits, uh, you know, bars and restaurants. But come meet the people that are making it, that are, you know, putting their lives and our futures into this. And... Uh, see what we're all about so we were we were able to get some great companies in charmery ice cream uh baltimore spirits company uh vent coffee roasters uh earth treks built a, a bouldering gym there um so we've got these 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 great manufacturers coming in well-crafted kitchen which is right off of our tap room it does these great wood-fired pizzas so we were able to kind of reach out to these people and say hey come in here you guys have the same love for baltimore that we have you want to keep your businesses in here you don't want to go to the county and some nondescript warehouse you want to be in the city um, and so they, they were all down with it and kind of came, came through. And that space is, is open? Yeah. yeah okay, fully? Yeah, well, you know, uh, yeah, everybody's open now in the space, right? Um, and so we still have a few spaces left to, to fill, um, but it's been a, a great success. You know, it's been, it's been fun so far. And, you know, I'd, I'd say everybody started going on in July, so it's been, it's been fun since then. And it's been really amazing. I mean, I grew up in this area, and Baltimore has changed drastically um, but I feel like in just these few short years I mean the craft beer scene the community you know has really morphed well it's it's interesting is because you know I was in that taxi or the uber here on the way here and mm-hmm. you know, I went to college park 20 years ago and I look at DC and I'm like wow it's changed so much um, and it, Baltimore was slower to start gentrifying and um, I don't always know if that's the greatest thing anyways but the city definitely has changed there's always been a sophisticated group of beer drinkers there um, but the beer production wasn't there, and now we've opened, and you've got you know, Heavy Seas that's been there for a long time, and newer guys like Diamondback and Peabody Heights and Gunda and all those guys making beers. And so I think now there was always a great beer drinker there, and now there's great beer coming from the city as well. So that's really been exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's definitely, for those of you who haven't ventured out and you live here in D.C., it's an easy, easy, easy trip up on the uh, train. That's how we came down, so yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and for those of you just tuning in, I'm talking with Kevin Blager and uh, Lynn Pernobus from uh, Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore. So, Lynn, you are the cask ninja. Um, We had our friends from Heavy Seas on to kind of do a deep dive into cask uh, production. Uh, But if you just want to give our listeners who maybe haven't had the chance to listen to that episode or who are not familiar with cask uh, ale or real ale, um, just a quick little 
synopsis on that? Um, okay, yeah. So cask making is a different special platform that you can serve beer on that some people are still, you know, not very used to it because they don't want their beer served a little bit warmer or a little bit less carb. But for me, it's fun because it's a place where I can be creative and, you know, experiment with flavor combinations and things like that to see if I can come up with something different and new and put it in a large production space. So cask making, my style of it is to go up to a beer once it's completed its primary fermentation and from there decide, do I want to wait for another step in the process of that beer's life to happen before I want to start tweaking with it or do I want to like wait for it to get its like official dry hop done before I do like hop additions and whatnot. Um, so what you do is you, I pull it off the fermenter and I add whatever you know, flavor combination I'm going for and then I add some more priming sugar and put it into secondary fermentation. From there, you play the waiting game and you hope that you put it in the cold box at the right time and that it does get some carb without being completely flat and that the flavors come together nicely. And a huge, huge, you know, important step that you need to have in, is control of the flavors that you're adding. So that's something that I'm constantly taking into consideration and when I'm trying to make these things. Nice. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit more here, um, and I want to get I want to get a little bit nerdy. Um, can you talk us through? Because what really intrigued me about what you just said was when you you know have the beer at its after its initial fermentation, you know you'll taste it and kind of see where you want it to go. If you want to wait for another step, or if you want to go ahead and add something right now. So can you talk us through kind of what that tastes like? For example, like okay tasted this duck pin and these are the flavors that I tasted um, but I wanted it to do more of this so I did this is that right yeah so if I'm just making a a random set of casts and I don't have like requests or an event that I'm trying to think of what would go great with that Mm -hmm. event then I'm kind of just toying around and just like reaching into my toy box and being like okay like what's working well today with this beer or is it wintertime or is it summertime? Like, things like that all go into play. And if I know, like, what my audience is going to be, that also goes into play. Um, so sometimes, like, if I'm making a cast for a hop fest, obviously I'm going to wait for it to get its first dry hop mm-hmm. that it would get normally, and then I'm going to do stuff to it. Or do I want to, like, get interesting and make that beer take a completely different direction? And people would be like, wow, this is Duckpin? Like, I got that text message yesterday actually from a friend mm-hmm. um, I had added a weird citrus fruit to Duckman before it got its dry hop and they were like wasn't expecting that but it's cool it's still light bodied it's you know and it has that twist I like giving my twist on it very cool and and you all have also released you know certain beers and doing just one different thing so you kind of have a, a range for example like duck pin with specific different hops and um, so you know you can kind of taste the difference between those like like a like a flight essentially yeah yeah for sure or if i just want to showcase one hop and i want another one to kind of just be on the back burner like i'll add two to three or two to one three to one ratios because i'm a lot of cast making and especially when i approach it it's, i approach it as a math problem okay so like the ratios and everything like that come into play are you comfortable talking through kind of what that exactly is? Um, so a beer I always think about is um, Tea Time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much Old Pro with flavored teas added to it. Okay. And when I first started toying with 
trying to create that type of beer. I started at a pint class level, and I'm like, how do I make this balance? How do I make this taste good? So I work my way through. I do like 100%, 90%, 80% ratio beer to whatever my ingredient that I'm adding. And my very first tea time cask was a bust. And I was like, crap, like, why is this so flat? It tastes good, but it's flat. And I realized that my ratio needed to be concentrated. So when I did like pint glass level, I didn't realize like how much I was diluting down and taking away from like the yeast ratio part of what needed to go into it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went back to the calculator and I refined my process and created a rate of 15 to 1, which is also easy for me to do on a test level because pint glasses are 16 ounces. And all I have to do is multiply like, hey, I'm making a cast today. That's about 80 pints. So I can just quickly, you know, do the conversion math from there. Very cool. Thanks for humoring me. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kevin and Lynn from Union Craft Brewing. Up all night with the same thing in my head. Just wanting you here next to me. It's been a long time. Don't you agree? Welcome back to Beer Me, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I am your host, Sarah Jane, sitting down talking with Kevin Blodger, the founder and director of brewing operations, uh, and Lynn Pernobas, uh, the operations manager and cask ninja uh, from Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore. Uh, thank you again for making the trip down. Yeah, thanks for having us. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, brewing trends that you all are seeing, um, you know, you guys have been around for six years now. You just celebrated your six-year anniversary. Uh, you have beers that you do year-round. You have beers that have a following. People have favorites. You have really fun experimental stuff. You have a really big range of things that you're producing. You've got your new tap room open so you know people can come and enjoy. Um, but how much of uh, kind of ch- trend chasing do you guys do like for example like the new england ipa craze that's going on or you know the really heavy fruit flavored gozas or you know stuff like that how much are you you know kind of bring what the kids want or how much are you kind of sticking true to what you you know what you do it's, it's tough because we, we this is something that we have meetings about and we talk about like Literally on Friday. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like who, who who are we as a brewery right like uh I brewed my first Goza in uh, 2009, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I, I really like the style, and we do fruit for, we do a beer called Older Pro, where we barrel age Old Pro with fruit, um, and it comes, you get this really, you know, really heavy fruit flavors, it's delicious, and those beers are delicious, um, and we've done some hazy IPAs, we just released one on Friday called Club Banger. Okay. Um, but at the same point, I don't want to serve yeasty beer or beer that's not finished, you know? I've been brewing for not, not a super long time, but about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And 
15 years is a long time. And when I was trained to brew, it was like, you know, you didn't release beer that wasn't clear and beer that wasn't settled. And so it's rethinking all of my training and stuff has been interesting. So so to get to swing back to your question, mm-hmm. it's like we like to do some trend chasing. Yeah, we want to brew beer. We want people to buy our beer, right? Yeah. And if New England IPAs are the hot thing right now, let's do it. But let's do it the union way. So we're still going to condition our beer a little bit. We're still going to let some of that drop out. It'll have a haze to it, but it's not going to be chunky. I'm not, we're not going to release a chunky beer. Yeah. Um, the fruit-flavored beers we like to drink, the older pros, we love those beers. And that's mm-hmm. like, Lynn doesn't give herself enough credit, but like anything we release that has fruit or spice or any addition to it, she's put the work back working on those ratios and figuring out how we're going to add the fruit and what fruit we're going to use and this is a combination and we're going to blend it like this. Um, so she works really hard to perfect those beers and when they come out, they're so beautiful. Like, why not release a fruit forward beer? So we do those, but we still also, we just released a Rauch beer last week, you mm-hmm. know, so a smoked lager. We had an alt beer, some of our core beers for a long time. Um, so I'm a traditionalist, but there's always going to be new stuff and new trends and, and some of those are interesting to me, some of them aren't. Um, and we'll still brew some of them that aren't interesting to me because people want to drink them and people want to try them. And I know that I can design a beer and it's going to be good. And then we can play with it and figure out where we're going to go with it from there. Nice. And are there, you know, are there particular beers that you all are really excited to brew? I mean, I know typically you brew seasonally, um, but, you know, is there a particular beer that, you know, as soon as you start making it, you're like, this is like... You know, the same way a chef gets, you know, oh, you know what? I love making Cachoe Pepe. This is like, just feels good to make. I mean, for me, it's going, you know, we kept our old brew house at, at the old location and we're calling, we're making a series of beers called the Rough Draft Beers okay. out of there. Um, and so brewing the rock beer about a month ago was fun to me because it's a style I really enjoy that I know a lot of people don't enjoy. But now I can brew the small batch of it. We can get it out. Um you know, doing our seasonals every year is fun because you know it's that time of year. You brought up Old Pro. We know in March or April when we first start to brew that beer that, hey, summer's right around the corner. Um, and we, we love how much people love that beer, you know. So uh, it, it's fun to brew beers like that and say, all right, this season's coming up or this is about to happen or snow pants time, it's about to get cold out. So that's always fun for me. Well, if there's any leftover smoke lager, like always, always send it my come way. Up, <laughs> come up to the tap room. We have it on tap right now. So. Uh, and so, Lynn, you handle a lot of the fruit, any kind of additives or anything like that. Um, you know, again, I'm going to like get nerdy with you a little bit here. Um, is there a certain fruit that, you know, is particularly challenging? And I'm kind of asking from the perspective of any home brewers who might be listening who want to kind of experiment with different things, if there was maybe some tips you could give them. For sure. Um, again, it comes back to what form of the flavor are you trying to extract like do you want the juiciness of it so if you want that you want to take the puree route when do you add it if you want it to be juicy do you want it to be fermented out a little bit so it loses some of its flavor those are things to think about um and when you say sorry when you say juicy for for people who who aren't sure what that what does that mean does that mean like the fruit ford flavor or the sweetness or like the the kind of mouthfeel that you get it would be the mouthfeel the fruit ford sweetness mm-hmm. um not overly sweet okay. but the sweetness for sure like i think of like all kinds of stone fruit that are fleshy like peaches and mangoes and stuff like that juicy um if you want to go more the acidity route mm-hmm. you want to use the citrus but the citrus you don't typically use the fleshy parts you want to use the zesty parts or do you want something that's way less intense and isn't really juicy, but it's still delicious, like cherries and pomegranates. They're a pain in the butt to deal with, <laughs> and you don't get much 
out of all the work that you get into it, but that's, you know, platforms to think about. And starting to toy with things like spices and, like, learning what the stability is of cinnamon, once I figure that out, I have a, a sour that I'm ready to throw in barrels and surprise you guys with. <laughs> oh, nice. I was just going to ask what follow-up this. Is there, um, is there something that you are working on that's going to be coming up that you're allowed to say on radio <laughs> that um, you're excited about? Either there's something that I have in the works that I could talk about, but I'm not going to just in case. Totally fair. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is talk about a beer that I'm like excited to brew because I've never written a recipe before, and then it kind of doesn't come out the way I want, and people are like, well, what happened in that brew? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> next time. <laughs> it's, always a, it's always a work in progress there. Fair right? enough. So uh, we, had, we were working on coming up with a new IPA mm-hmm. uh, that, that we're really excited about. Um, what kind of IPA? Yeah, an IPA, right? Oh, just an IPA. Yeah, okay. is it, what, yeah. It, yeah it's, it's so weird now. There's so much. I know. You Asking know, that, that follow-up question, I yeah. was like, I have to do it. But. Is it AZ IPA? <laughs> is it a West Coast? Is it, you know, and so it's like, it's an IPA. It's going to be hop forward like an IPA should be. It's going to have great flavor to it. It's going to be a great beer, I hope. Um, and so that's that's what I really get excited about. It's like, how do we bring new flavors to these beers and what hops are out there? Um, and it's really been great kind of developing these relationships with these new hop growers, um, talking to people that make local malt and feeling, finding out like what flavors can we pull out and put into these beers that we're making. Uh, so that's what I'm really jazzed about working on right now. Nice. And kind of continuing to embrace that local community and yeah, and just and do cool events. And we just Baltimore beer week just happened. It was the 10th annual Baltimore beer week. That's um, right. How did that go? It was awesome. And it's so great because. You know, I got two young kids. I don't get to get out that often. And so to go out during this week, I got to see a lot of my friends that I don't see as much anymore. Um, And so that's always fun. And you get to drink a lot of great beer and and celebrate. So I love Baltimore Brew Week. Nice. Um, And as far as uh, I want to kind of loop back on your renovation that you did for your tap room. Um, something that I've talked about a lot on the show is the experience that the guest gets in the tap room and how important that is. You know, there's so much thought and there's so much preparation put into beer, but the actual experience that they get from something as simple as the cleanliness of the bathrooms and our dogs allowed and can you bring your kids and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, what were some things that you guys have done to kind of build guest experience? Well, so it's funny you bring up Bring My Kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're leading us into this. <laughs> um, but everywhere I go, I was in Denver for GABF, and I got to mm-hmm. ask about this on the news. We have this policy called Adult Swim, where mm-hmm. uh, kids are allowed from 12 to 6, and then at 6 p.m. we ask that people under 21 leave. Um, and that was all born from our experience we had when we first opened the new tap room. We had so much more space, and kids could run around. Um, and uh, for the most part, parents were very responsible. Kids were very responsible. But there was a few kids that weren't being watched. We had some stuff. We bought some vintage arcade games that were broken. Mm-hmm. Had some experiences where we found a toddler kind of crawling around in front of the bathroom, but their parents weren't there. Um, and it was really stressing the staff out. Yeah. Um, and so at first we said, let's do an 8, 8 p.m. thing. But it mm-hmm. seemed 6 o'clock seemed like the right time. Like we would watch kids and parents would come in. And what happens is it's not fair to the kids. The parents come in. They sit down. They have a few beers. They start talking. And we had some stuff for kids to do, but not much. The kids would get bored and start running around. But we never envisioned ourselves as kind of this kid space. We wanted to be family friendly and you bring your kid, but mm-hmm. not for three hours. Come get a growler, leave, we have, you know, get some food or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of it turned into this whole thing. And when we announced it, 
it turned into a kind of thing. I, I learned terms I never knew, like dink for double income, no kids. I didn't know yeah. what that meant. Um, but like people fought, fought back and forth on our Facebook page about it. And it turned into this whole thing. We're all about embracing community. And it turned into this whole really divisive thing. And that's not what we were looking for. Um, but since we've instituted the policy about a month ago, everything seemed to have settled out. And nice. people are very respectful of it. And I think they get it. And we still have, of every brewery in Baltimore, the most kid-friendly hours of any brewery up there. So we're so proud about that. Um, but yeah, so the whole experience thing, we have two guys, uh, Chris Attenborough and, and Jeremy Moy, that run the tap room and set up this whole brand experience. And they're you know, seasoned restaurant and bar professionals. And so they've turned our tap room into this great experience that me, Adam, and John probably could have never done without these two guys there kind of helping us out, kind of guiding what the guest experience would be like. So we want everybody to come up and we think you'll enjoy yourself and have a great time. Kids or no kids. Kids or no kids. Yep. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, for all of you listeners out there, it is, like I said, a very, very easy, uh, easy trip up to up to Baltimore for sure. And there's plenty to explore. There's plenty to see. And thank you all for coming to chat on Beer Me. Um, just a quick announcement um, for the listeners who um, tuned in to my chat with Teresa McCullough from the Smithsonian. Uh, she sent me an update. This um, on Saturday, November third, the National Museum of American History is hosting an event called Last Call. So this is their biggest beer history uh, public program. Uh, this is kind of coinciding with their Food History Weekend. Um, so Last Call will be a conversation among four brewers about the importance of region to American beer. So the participating breweries are New Glarus Brewing Company, Bow and Arrow Brewing Company, Scratch Brewing Company, and Cajun Fire Brewing Company. So each brewer offers a unique perspective on the importance of region to beer. Um, they're going to be pouring some beers that you typically will not see in the D.C. market. And then the uh, museum will have several objects out of storage available uh, for viewing. So these will feature kind of beer-related objects from their collections that aren't typically available for viewing. So the tickets, uh, I forget the exact price, but I, I just bought mine and they're very, very affordable. Um, it, you can get it off the American History uh, Smithsonian website, but definitely, definitely check that out. I know there are a lot of beer things going on that weekend, but I think that one is definitely worth your while. Cajun Fire is one of the only other uh, African-American-owned breweries uh, in the country, so go check it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week on Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live from the Line Hotel here in Washington, D.C. Cheers. Cheers.